theyeshiva.net. So we're in the Maimer of Yehuda Atar, Yeducha Achecha, and Teira Er Vayechi. First Maimer in Vayechi. We're holding Oiz Dalad, the fourth chapter, the fourth section, the fourth paragraph, which is page 90. Second paragraph on page 90. In the Hebrew, it's Mem He, column 3. I want to welcome the person behind the whole technology here, the Bnuchem. Fried. <laughs> it's been a while. Okay, today's class is dedicated by Hayden Hall. Hayden Hall, La'ilu Nishmas, Reb Shnei Zalman, Ben Reb Gimpel Avram, Zechreina Levracha, Alava Shalom. Thank you very much. Tahei Nishmasa, Yitzurah, B'Tzurah HaChayim. Ve'kitzu v'ranan Roshaych Ne'ofer. Amen. Thank you. Achine. Yeah. So after discussing Reuven, Shimon, and Levi in a person's avoida, in the spiritual life and the emotional life of the Jew, the Maimah went through, even, even although briefly, each one of the first three sons of Leia, Reuven, Shimon, and Levi. And the key points, the key point was Reuven, which comes from the word seeing, Reuven, <coughs> And Shimon, which is associated with the word Shama, Shmiya, Shma, hearing, listening, the ability to hear. Shama Hashem Kisnua Noichi. Hashem heard about my pain. And Levi, which comes from the word Leviya, Hapam Yilove, Ishi Elai. Now my husband will become one with me. My husband will accompany me. My husband will become connected to me. And that's the concept of Levi, Levia. When you say even, you know, Achilash Sia Levia, there's feeding somebody, there's giving somebody to drink, and then there's Levia, there's escorting them, accompanying them, which is a form of connection. I don't let you go alone. I want to be with you, physically and emotionally. So, Apam Yilove Ishielai. Now my husband will become attached to me. He will become a company to me. He'll become connected to me. So, it's three stages in Avaidus Hashem. <coughs> and it's three parts of davening. The first part of davening, which begins with the beginning of davening, Pesukah de Zimra, that the Chazal instituted all the way through Vahafta, the first part of Kriyashma. And then the second portion of Kriyashma corresponds to the Avedah of Shimon, hearing. And then the third section, Emes and Emes V'yatsev, the bracha afterwards, Emes V'yatsev, Anachet V'kayim, all the way till Shemayna Esra, that is the state of consciousness of Levi. As he pointed out, each one is integrated from the other. It's not like they're isolated. In Kedusha, in holiness, there's always his skalalos. In holiness, it's never one madrege is on its own. In other words, radical, where you are this and the other one is the exact opposite. In Reuven, there's Shimon. And in Shimon, there's Reuven. And in Levi, there's Reuven and Shimon. And the reason is because anything that's connected with the source ultimately is connected to everything else also. That's a very important yesoid by the Alter Rebbe. That's his skalalos. In other words, even though you may be one particular, you're connected to one particular characteristic, you're never only connected to one particular characteristic. The question is what's more emphasized, what's less emphasized. But if it's connected to the source, if it's a manifestation of the source, everything is connected to everything. That's called his skalalos. Everything is integrated. So in the first parasha, Yosef Shimon. And in the second parasha, Yosef Reuven. Because there's always a connection. The question is, what's emphasized? I'm just mentioning that because sometimes you say, well, there's no love in the second parasha. There's also love in the second parasha. So he emphasizes that there's always a skalalos. His skalalos means you're never only connected to the prat. You're also always connected to the klal. Prat is the detail, the manifestation. Klal is the koilal, right? The collective, everything. Even when you're in a prat, you're still always connected to the klal. You're never only in a prat. If you're only in a prat, like we say in the morning, you're going to be shmalaymer, there's klal o prat, there's prat o klal, there's klal prat o klal. So that's why there's always a skalalos, there's always integration. You, you understand this, Nakud? I'm just saying it in a but it's an important point. And what's the difference between the three? So the main point was the first one is associated with love and closeness and connection, and that's always connected with seeing. When you see somebody, <coughs> you become closer to them. 
And when you're close to somebody, you want to see them. And really seeing the other person is what ignites and empowers and generates the emotion of love. Hearing. Hearing is something that I don't see. It's not in front of my eyes. It represents something that's more distant, more abstract. You can hear and think and understand things that are not in front of your eyes. Whether it's a story or it's an idea. A story that may have happened a thousand years ago or a story that's happening elsewhere. I can't see it with my eyes. There's no intimate connection in the sense that I see it. It's not engraved on the level of seeing. It's something that's more distant, more rachak. In Avodah Hashem, that's the two elements of the relationship. One is, he says, kiruv, and one is richuk. One is the sense of closeness, of attachment. I see you, like the Pasuk says, kibikaira, kiteina, kibikaira, what was the expression from uh, from the Navi, the beautiful Pasuk. Kibikura biteina bireshisa I have seen your fathers, your forefathers, like, like the, the, the first fig, when it ripes, when it becomes ripe on the tree, a person who's, uh, who's a farmer and, 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 and wants the fig and, and craves the fig, and the first fig shows up in the summer season, the first fig shows up, it's, it's, it's a simcha, you see the first fig, that's how I saw your, your forefathers. So it doesn't mean I saw them, I saw them with, with, with my eyes. Seeing is a form of, of, of deep affection, of deep connection, I was excited to see them and observe them, and that's what Re'i is, and that's why the Chazal instituted the whole structure of davening, as he explained, not just to say words, and not even to say ideas, but rather as an engagement, as a as a meditation to really bring a person into an experiential relationship, to be able to gaze at the glory of the Rebbe Nishalelam, like when somebody sees something and they're they're, they're, they're taken by it, they're swallowed up by it, they're, they're moved by it, they're truly affected by it in a very positive way, just like seeing negative things can affect you in a very negative way because it's so vivid, it's so real, it's so impressionable. So that's Reuven. And he explained that at length. And that includes also Ra Hashem Ba'anyi, Vahaftas all the parts of your heart, including the parts of your heart that disagree, that's the Ba'anyi, the pain as he went through the whole idea of tshuva, the soul trying to restore itself. Ki'ata yehavani ishi. The second step was shimon. And shimon is associated with when you really, really connect, you also come to learn that there's something that I can't connect to. There's something that is unreachable. And there, the this is this is one of the chidushim and the smaiman, it's a very... Uh, it's a very rich and very edel and akuda. Not like people think that yira is distance. Yira is fear, it's distance, like rejection. Here what he's saying is, yira, awe, is the gift of experiencing that which can't be experienced. That which is, which is really transcendent, that which is really beyond me, which is really above me, you experience it, you have a relationship with it. How, how do you connect to it? Not through controlling it and mastering it and containing it, because then it's not that. It's the distance, it's the sense of awe and reverence and bittal, what we call yira. That's, in a way, a much deeper relationship, because it's a relationship with that which I cannot connect to, because it's beyond me, it's beyond me. And it's true in people, as we discussed, in, in, in a powerful relationship. There's also the point where you realize that there's a secret to the other person that I can't know that I can't see. It's something that I can't see. I can hear. And hear means I recognize that there's a distance, there's a boundary, and there's respect for that boundary. And the year is the way you connect with something that is in a completely different space. It's in a transcendent space. And I acknowledge it, and I embrace it, and I pay tribute to it through year, through awe. In a way, it's a much deeper relationship than the first relationship. It's, it's expressed in a very different fashion. It's expressed through awe rather than through love, through distance rather than through closeness. But it's not a distance that comes from rejection and negativity. It's a distance that comes because you're actually touching something that is truly elusive, something that is truly beyond me. There's Yemin Mekareves and Smoil Doicha. I'm Doicha myself. I push myself away. In other words, I recognize that there's something untouchable here. I can't just touch it with my hands. I can't just manipulate it, exploit it, control it, define it, interpret it. 
there's a, a sense of Yidah, yeah? So where is that expressed in the second portion of Krishna? He says, What does that really mean? It means a person recognizing their vulnerabilities, a person recognizing their weaknesses, a person recognizing their limitations. And, 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 and a respect for that. A person realizing that with all of my closeness and with all of my attachment, there's also, you know, it's very easy for me to uh, go in another direction. Huh? I need boundaries within, within myself. It's, it's, it's not free-for-all. I'm not... Uh, it's, it's, it's the respect. It's the respect for my weaknesses. It's the respect for the fact that I can be very, very distant, that in a moment a person could fall from the highest places into the lowest places. That's, that's a certain uh, sobriety. It's a sobriety. You know, one of the dangers in life is, and it's also true in a marriage, what, what, what's the problem when you have love without respect? When you have love without respect, ultimately, it's always on my terms. Even if it's very powerful love, there's always I. Respect allows there to be able to create space for the other where I am not present. And that's very important because a person has situations where you're, you're, where you do become distant, where you're not, uh, you're not in the best of places. And when there's respect, there's boundaries, there's certain red lines that I don't cross, it protects people in these situations. You understand what I'm saying? A couple comes and says, we love each other forever, forever, forever. Nothing can come in between us. It's beautiful, but something is going to come in between you, maybe. <laughs> what happens then? If all, if all there is is, if all there is is, we're one, we're connected, we love each other, it's beautiful. But in a, in a difficult moment, in a challenging moment, so now it all falls apart because I'm not feeling it, I'm not close. Okay, so let's just go different ways. I'm going to do whatever I want, you do whatever you want. What Yira does is, Yira does, there's a respect for the other person. Respect for the other person is respect for you. I'm actually, I'm actually distant. It's a recognition that I can't put my head into this place. There's a space that I can't cross. And what that, what that does is that even if I'm not emotionally capable at the moment, and even if I'm having a hard day, I could still respect something that is, that is, that is sacred. I don't have to always feel it. You understand what I'm saying? You have to experience this to understand it, but it's, a, it's, it's, pre, it's pretty simple. It's not so complicated. You see it in Yiddishkeit also. People who have Ahava without Yira. People who have Ahava without Yira. It's, it's standing on one leg. A table can't stand on one leg. Uh, and it can also be a form of selfishness. Not necessarily selfishness in a bad way that I'm selfish. But by definition, love is about my experience of you. And what if I don't have an experience of you? And what if my experience, uh, I'm having a very bad day? And what if I'm in a bad state? And what if something happens? You know, it's not about my experience. It's, it, it's, re- it's respect for something that's actually above me, that transcends me. It's an expression in, in Chesidus. Ave in Yiddish. Ave is geschmacker. Aber Yiddish is gesinter. <laughs> the Lubavitcher Rebbe writes in his diary that he heard this from his father-in-law once. And I think on a walk, he said, or at a fabrengen, Ave is geschmacker. Aber Yiddish is gesinter. It's a definition. In terms of geschmack, we know what's geschmacker. In terms of health, <laughs> in terms of health, there's something about Yiddish that's very... Uh, Ava could become very efkatistic. It could become frivolous. It could become uh, somewhat of anarchy. The ego is very involved, even though it's a good ego. Love, love, is, a, love is amazing. <laughs> And you start with love. You start with connection. You don't start with distance. You start with connection. Because if you start with distance, as I said last time, you end with distance too. You start with connection. The distance here is deeper than connection. It's not instead of connection. It's deeper. It's, it's the awe that allows you to touch that which is really beyond. And that's what real respect is. And in Ein Soif, that's the step two. That's Shimon. Shama Hashem ki snu anoichi. 
And when there's that sense of snua, it doesn't mean I'm hated, I'm, 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 I'm a nobody, I'm a bad, evil person. Snua anoichi means I realize that there are parts of me that are inadequate, that are not capable of, of grasping. So Shama Hashem, that gives me a gift of Shmiya. It's the gift of Yira. Yira is a gift. Why is it a gift? Because it allows you to touch the untouchable. In a relationship, it's also, as much as we're close, there's also a loneliness. Not a loneliness in a bad way, because you don't want to listen to me, because you want to run away from me. We're not talking about that. Obviously, that's, that, that could be part of a reality, but here it's a loneliness. There's a loneliness in the sense that there's a secret that is yours. There's a, a certain authenticity that is yours and yours alone, and a person has to pay tribute to it. And if you're in a relationship with somebody, they have to pay tribute to it. And it's not something I want to conquer and I want to take you out of. And I want to say, come on, get out of, get out of your, your isolation. This is not an isolation that's evil that we want to overcome. It's an isolation that's a blessing because there's a certain nikuda in you that reflects an ain't so that, that's yours. And how do I, how do I connect to that? I connect to that by, by, by not connecting to it. What do I mean by not connecting to it? By respecting it. By, by, by looking at it from a distance. By not looking at it. You, sometimes, you have to turn your face away. Sometimes you connect to something by, by not connecting to it. You know what I mean? It's an Indian of Yida. In our generation, you know, a lot of people became cynical about a lot of things, including this Indian. In other words, when we see the concept of Yida, of fear, it's because the person surrounds themselves with a mafia, so therefore, right, you're scared. You know, don't start up with me. I'm more powerful than you. The system is going to eat you up and crush you. So that's nothing to do with this union. You know, so the concept of Yira we seem as very dysfunctional and abusive. But the truth is that Yira is a very, very deep gift. There's a vart that says in Perkyavis, Moira Rabach should be Kamoira Shamayim. The, the fear, the moira of your Rebbe should be kemoira shamayim, like the fear of heaven. So how is that translated usually? You should fear your Rebbe like you fear God. So people say, really? Really? I should fear him like I fear God. And the Gabai, I should fear like whom? His Gabai, I should even fear more than him because he has more power than him. The Gabai makes the decisions. <laughs> There's a vart. I don't remember if it's an option. This comes from one of the tzaddikim in Poland. He said, it's not a commandment, it's a prediction. You're going to fear your Rebbe as much as he fears God. <laughs> you hear? Meire Rabach is going to be Kemeire Shemayim. As much as he has Yer Shemayim, that's how much Yer you'll have from him. In other words, it's a mirror. The awe that he has from heaven, that will be reflected in the awe that you have from him. The Gemara says in Gedushin, Rabbi Akiva said, "As Hashem alakechatira, why does it say S? S Hashem alakechatira. Le Rabbi is Talmidei Chachamim. That the year as Hashem is also from Talmidei Chachamim. So the Kotzki Rabbi said, what does it mean? As Hashem alakechatira, le Rabbi is Talmidei Chachamim. Even Talmidei Chachamim have to fear God. Le Rabbi is Talmidei Chachamim. That's classic. The Kotzki Rabbi. Even if you're Talmud Chachem, you still have to have year Shemai. It's a beautiful line. What is he really saying? The concept of a real Talmud Chachem is somebody who has real, real years Hashem. <laughs> that years Hashem is reflected in your emotions towards that person. To put it differently, if you're fearing somebody because they're a somebody, then don't fear them. Maybe stay away from them, but don't fear them. The, the real, the real year that we're talking about is the year because there is a, there is an infinity there. <laughs> infinity is not abuse. Infinity is awe-inspiring. It's awe-inspiring. It's a whole different. It's a whole different Indian. You, you, you don't. You, you, you can't love it, not because you don't want to love it. Of course you love it, but because love is too uh, small to be able to grasp it. Love is something I grasp with my emotions. I love you. I love you. It's amazing words, <laughs> but it begins with I. I. I love you. I'm experiencing you. And here you know that I'm not experiencing you. So silence is a much more appropriate relationship. 
This is the, 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 the richness of this Maimah when he describes the second level, that it's deeper than Reuven. And that's why Re'iyah creates Yira, but it's a different level of Re'iyah. After Matan Torah, by Matan Torah, they went to the distance. They stood from a distance. Matan Torah was the greatest revelation. There was never a revelation like Matan Torah. What was the result? They said, I have to, I have to move back. That's another side to it. That's, that's, it's right. When you see the suffering in the world, things like a Holocaust, right? And I should say it's not just the Holocaust. If one child is killed in an accident, right? If God is, if, if you say, you know, if somebody says, you know, this, this person is a nice person. Six million he won't kill, but one child he'll murder. It doesn't work that way, you understand? So the question on God is not a question on the six million, the letter from the Lubavitch Rebbe to Eli Wiesel. It's like a seven-page letter. Eli Wiesel was in Auschwitz and Buchenwald. And he lost a lot of his... Uh, he struggled tremendously. He came from a Chassidish family. Vizhnitz. He grew up in Sigit. And he lost his family. He grew up in a... In a in, you know, there was a, a Vizhnitz. He considered himself a Vizhnitz and Chassid. So uh, he... Uh, so there's a seven-page letter. It's printed from the Lubavitch Rebbe to Eli Wiesel. So he says this point in the middle of the letter. He says... You know, any serious person had the question of Auschwitz many years before Auschwitz. Because if God is, is just and kind, so one child dying in a car accident is, is, is uh, yeah, that, that I'm fine with? Obviously, big numbers, you know, affect us in different ways. That's obvious. But in terms of, of the MS of the question, how can a good God allow this in the world? That's a question about a single child suffering. So he said that the real the real Jew who asked real questions had to ask the question a lot before 1939. Especially Jewish history. Especially Jewish history. Then he told Eli Wiesel the Chiddush of 1939 was who did it? In previous times, it was usually barbarians who murdered. And here, the sadistic barbarity came from the nation that had the most PhDs, the greatest amount of scientists and doctors and musicians and poets and philosophers, the most cultured nation on earth. He says, that's the Chiddush of 1939, which actually tells you what enlightenment without God did to humanity. It was a brilliant letter to Eli Wiesel. But my point is, you're right. There's also an element of awe over there. I, I really don't understand. I don't understand. Exactly. That, that's, that's, I think, that's, I think, part of awe. There, there's an incessant curiosity. I don't understand. Avram Avinu screamed, Will the judge of the entire earth not be just? The worst thing is to find a judge being corrupt, right? You're judging everybody, and you're corrupt. So that's what Avram tells Hashem. You're the judge, and uh, maybe you should also be righteous. That's a pretty sharp words. <laughs> they would probably put him in Chedim today. Moshe Rabbeinu, in this week's Parsha, yeah, Parsha Shemois, what does he say? Lama Lama What are you doing? What, what are you doing? And then you sent me to Pada, and it got even worse. So Moshe could have also said, well, God knows what he's doing. Well, I don't understand. But both are true, because if, if, if Avram and Moshe are to serve God authentically, they need to be able to express their pain. They're not going to say, everything is beautiful, and then you know what you're doing, because, because Avram and Moshe were perturbed by the suffering. They were perturbed by the pain. And yet they didn't say, okay, so I'm becoming an atheist. Moshe didn't say, okay, you probably don't exist. <laughs> that wasn't an option for them. But rather, they understood that this, the concept of Amunah is that I don't understand. You know? In that letter to Eli Wiesel, Rebbe writes something. I never saw it before or after. He writes to him, he says, Avram and, and, and Moshe and Yirmiya and Eoiv and all these people who screamed and David HaMelech, 
their screaming didn't weaken their amuna. It made it stronger. The fact they didn't have an answer made their amuna stronger. Why? He says two or three lines over there in Yiddish. It's a letter, 1965. Sometimes a battery has a riches yamim and vayigva vayasef alamov. Okay, to all those who are online, our battery was uh, malfunctioning, but uh, looks like it's uh, it's good. Thank you, Reb Nachum. So. <laughs> Everybody's clapping. I want everybody to realize you're clapping for your wives, not for yourself, right? So it's a, it's a beautiful madrega. <laughs> Reuven and Shimon together. So he says, because if the question of why are you allowing this, is real, it's not a small question. It's an infinite question. Why is it an infinite question? Because they cared about life and goodness. And they didn't care about it because of rationality. In other words, mathematically, 2 plus 2 equals 4. Mathematically, it makes sense that children should grow up with parents and without abuse. That children should be allowed to live a long life. That people shouldn't suffer. It it makes sense, right? From mathematics, you don't get so upset. The question came from the essence of their soul because for them, goodness and kindness and compassion they felt was rooted, not just that it's intellectually logical. Intellectually, you can argue both ways. Who knows what's good? It's because they felt that goodness comes from a source that's beyond rationality, and therefore it touched them in their deepest place. If that's the case, so when they said, and now we don't understand, and now we don't understand, that was precisely the result of a question coming from a place that's deeper than understanding. I don't just want people to to live because it makes sense to me. But it was rather rooted and touched them in, in their deepest place beyond their rationality. So then they right away said, and if that's the case, we understand that our minds simply are not capable of, of, of defining this, of defining purpose, meaning, justification. It's not something that lends itself to the world of, of rationalization. You're forcing a circle. You're forcing forcing the square into the circle. You're forcing something infinite into a finite box of the human brain. It's 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 not that there's no question. Not that it's not painful, but they realize that you're dealing with something that's that's truly infinite. So I think it's connected from from another angle. But in every relationship, even in the positive aspects of a relationship, there's that which I don't know. And that's why you'll see in, in every very good relationship, there's an element of awe. There's an element of yira. Yira doesn't mean I'm afraid of you, you're going to punish me. I'm afraid of you because I'm intimidated by you. I'm afraid of you because you're, you're neurotic. I'm afraid of you because you're a control freak. I'm afraid of you because I do, if I do anything wrong, you're going to explode. Those are fears that exist in relationships, trust me. <laughs> and they're serious. It, it, people shrink. Sometimes people, they, kids and, and spouse, they come into a home and they shrink. They're, they're heart, they're almost expecting, they're expecting, you know, an avalanche of, of, of criticism. And if you grew up like that, if every day when you came home, right, you were told what a golem you are and what an idiot you are, often people play that out throughout their whole life. That's a year that makes you say, I don't want to ever see you again in my life. I wish you died and I don't want to see you again. Right? That's not an ennobling year. That's a year because there's a terrorist, because there's an oppressor, there's an abuser. Here the year is a deeper form of closeness. It's a deeper form of a, of, of a relationship. I'll tell you from my experience, when I grew up, there was a very interesting debate that I grew up with. As a boy and as a bacher especially. And it was a very genuine debate. And there was not an element of dysfunction in it. I still think about it and I get emotional just about the debate. There was a mashpi, his name was Reb Nemenov. Reb Nemenov was an old chassid. He had a yeshiva in Brinoa. Brinoa is a suburb of Paris. He had a, mashpi, he had a yeshiva there for many, many years, since the 1940s. Till his death. It still exists. A yeshiva in Brinoa. It's a very good yeshiva. And he would come to New York once a year, twice a year, a few times a year. He once came and he would fabreng with the Bachram. And he says to the Bachram in Yiddish, he says, Ich verstehe nicht. Der Rebbe kommt da reis zum Davenen und er steht alle azai. 
wie schämt er sich nicht, zu gucken auf Rebens Ponnen. Und er soll sein Eier ponnen. Wie schämt er sich nicht? Als der Rebbe kommt auf den Antläufen. How you're not embarrassed, the Rebbe comes out to Davin, comes out, and you're standing there, he sees you, you see him. He sees everything that's going on in you. You look, well, how are you not embarrassed to look at his face and to have him say, he says, I never heard of such a thing. And the whole night he was telling the Bach, the, 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 the grabkeit, the coarseness that they have to look at the Rebbe's face and to let the Rebbe look, look at their face. <laughs> that was his, uh, the next night was somebody else verbringt. And he said, yeah, you have to show up. <laughs> And let the Rebbe see everything. That's a relationship. Let him see everything. Let him see everything. Of course you're not supposed to be there. Let him see that too. You don't run away. You don't run away. It was such an idle, such an idle debate. <laughs> and they were talking two different types of Bachram. Some ran, <laughs> most of them. And, and then some stayed. But, but such a sensitive What was he saying? He was saying, Yide is, of, of course, of course it should go away. <laughs> There was a Yid I knew. His name was Zalman de Shikr. Zalman de Shikr was a very intelligent person. Unfortunately, he became an alcoholic. He was a Baltruva. He wrote songs in the 1960s and he would get royalties for them. So he would actually get money, but he, was, he became a drunk. But he was a very deep guy. He would sit and drink on the island of Eastern Parkway and lie on the bench with a bottle of Crown Royal. And he was a very interesting Yid. I used to speak to him sometimes. I told you once something he told me. It says in the beginning of the Torah, B'neish's Barah. So Rashi says, Amr Abitzchak, Lahoyatzarich Lahaschel. So he said, the Pshat is, the Torah says, B'neish's Barah, Hashem created the world. So Rashi says, Amr Abitzchak, Lahoyatzarich. There was no need for this. This was, this was a bad, a bad move. Lahoyatzarich. <laughs> Trust me. This is a real shikr, you know. <laughs> anyway, so I noticed the Rebbe would, the would come down to Davin every morning. The later years, early years he would Davin himself, but later years he would Davin every morning with a min. When he came down, Zalman the shikr was there in shul. He would come to put on tefillin. And he would always turn around, about face. He would turn around that his back was to the Rebbe when the Rebbe came in. I saw this a few times. I went over to him once. And I said, why do, you, why do you turn around your back to the Rebbe when he comes into a shul? Everybody turns towards it. So he looks at me and he says, Yosef Yitzchak, Ich, mit mein chazerish imponen, so kukin af Well, me with my, my face, I should, I should look at the Rebbe. So I said, yeah, Efshavit is helpful, maybe it'll, maybe it'll help you. So he says, He tells me, <laughs> I didn't go to the mikveh. I don't understand what, you, what you're thinking about. So I say, so go to the mikveh. There's a mikveh in the corner. Go to the mikveh. He looks at me, <laughs> And if I go to the mikveh, I could? <laughs> I was pretty stunned. And then he says, I used to look. Today I don't look. I was, uh, I was quite shocked to hear this from him. My point in all of these, uh, all of these anecdotes are, there's two types of yira. There's a yira that comes from real distance, and there's a yira that is a gift that allows you to bridge a distance through awe. It's the appropriate keli. Now, if you didn't have that type of yira, it becomes cynical. Oh, you're scared because control, because of, uh, because of negativity. We're not, uh, that's why I'm, I'm, I'm making this, quali- that, this qualifier. It has to be very real. It can't come from a place of intimidation. If it's intimidation, it's not ain't soif. If it's intimidation, it's the opposite of ain't soif. If I have to intimidate you, it's because I'm not infinite. <laughs> it's because you're a threat to me. You understand? This is a different Indian. It's, it's the presence of something. I think they say from one of the writers, I don't know who, who wrote it, he said that when God created the Grand Canyon, he did not create the adjectives with which to describe it. Right? I don't have the adjectives. So if you don't have the adjectives, what do you do? You're silent. You're silent. Why? Not because you're stupid, but because you're smart. <laughs> 
not because you're stupid, because you're smart. Certain situations, I'm getting lost in Shimon here a little bit. Okay. <laughs> That's what you told me on Shabbos, that Al-Tarebbe got lost in Uven and I got lost in Shimon. The reason I'm getting lost in Shimon is because Re'iyah got very bad, Re'iyah got very bad rap in our generation. You understand? Everything became love, 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 which is beautiful. And Yira became associated with people who want to control everybody else. They just want to scare the living daylights out of you, which I understand. But this Mimer can help us reclaim real, real Yira. Real Yira. Real authentic Yira. That's Shimon. It's even higher, higher than Reuven. And as I said, it's not just in relation to somebody else. It's also in relation to you. It's in relation to you, a respect for your own authentic uh, loneliness, for your own, not the word is not lonely, for your own authentic originality that is uniquely yours. Every person has their own imprint of Hashem. It's, it's something that, that's yours. And we have to be able to respect that. Respect it in somebody else and respect it in yourself. And as somebody pointed out in the last year, it's not that a relationship takes this away. You know what a good relationship does? It makes this stronger. <laughs> Without a good relationship, you think your loneliness is coming from where? Because you don't have a friend in the world. With a real relationship, you realize your loneliness is not coming because you don't have a friend. It's coming because there is something inside of you that is yours alone. It's not because I don't have a friend, because I'm a loser, because nobody likes me. This comes from a real relationship, from a good and powerful relationship. You come to realize, wow, we're so close, and yet. You understand? When there's a good relationship, then you have this, much more. Because then it's not, you know, I'm just a traumatized victim, I'm messed up, I don't trust the world. No, I, I, I trust the world. I trust people. But, but there's, something, there's something that's a secret. There's something that's, that's not approachable. And, and that helps you heal. It helps you heal also from loneliness because it, it tells you that loneliness is not a curse. Loneliness is a curse if there's no love. But if there is love, it's not a curse. It's, it's, it's a unique strength. It's a reality. I'm sorry, what? Yeah, I think it's in all relationships. It's just marriage really brings a relationship to a, a level that's not like any other relationship. You know, when you have a relationship with a friend, you could take vacation a couple of months. A, a marriage really challenges a relationship because the connection is so deep that if it's not worked out, you know, you're not in the mood of your friend, right? So you don't talk to him for three weeks. What are you going to do with your spouse? Not talk to him for three weeks? You have to work it out. So a, a marriage, why did God make marriage? Because it challenges us like no other relationship. <laughs> you're saying good marriages. You're right. There are marriages where they never talk. And uh, they just... Right. They talk about uh, the groceries. You're right. In the Khanami. I think with self also, there's, uh, there's, we, we sometimes have to, yeah, I think it's respecting, respecting, um, respecting a part of you that is, uh, that is, that is you. <laughs> Almost, I also don't understand it always. I also can't understand it. We always think that if we don't understand something, it doesn't exist or it's, or it's messed up. It's not. The deepest parts you don't understand. The brain is not a keli to, to control it, to grasp it. It's true in another person. It's also true in myself. If I respect it in myself, I can respect it in another person. If I don't respect it in myself, I can't respect because the secret inside of you. But this is worked out because if I'm angry at you, or at myself, and I'm frustrated with you, and I, and there's a lot of negativity, then 
I can't even go here. It's just, there's too much, you know, too much negativity mixed in. There has to be a lot of clarity, a lot of, I have to be worked out. If I'm just angry at you and frustrated and judging you and you're driving me crazy, there's no distance and closeness. I don't even know what's what. Uh, you know, I'm trying to survive here. This is not a survival uh, uh, mimer. This is an expansive mimer. If I'm in a survival mode, I don't see you, I don't hear you. I'm just trying to survive. Yeah. The Vilsta Pesagin? Silence. You're smart. Okay, I should also do the same thing. But I guess somebody has to talk, right? Oh, you came to the rescue. I don't have to talk, yeah? It's a, it's a very deep place. It's a very genuine place. Now, trauma abuses that place because trauma says, I'm alone because I'm messed up. That's not the truth. You're alone because you're godly. You're divine. <laughs> God is also alone. If I went through trauma, it plays with that because it says, oh, I'm messed up. If you could bring back your aloneness to your true aloneness, that's very healing. It's not an aloneness because you don't like me and because when I was four years old, you made me feel like a piece of garbage, which now becomes the definition of my aloneness. But it rather becomes an empowering, an empowering element. Or to put it differently, why do we get traumatized? This is important. Because we have something that belongs to us. We have an I that's very real. And it's mine. There's something, there's something, there's something that got ruined here. If there was no such a thing, trauma is my defense mechanisms saying I need to protect something that's worth protecting. In other words, the very fact that this happens to us is because I'm not a machine. Because I'm not just nothing. I'm not just connected to everything. Because there's something very, very real here that got hurt. That's what you want to connect to. The reason I, I went through this is because I was trying to protect something that is very, very genuine, that is very real. So from the pain itself, you can come back to the healing of that pain. What is that that you were trying to protect? There was something very sacred, very divine, very special. Unfortunately, you didn't have the, the tools and the resources at that age to be able to put it this way. <laughs> to be able to say, because my dignity is infinite, therefore, I'm going into exile, I'm going into hiding. I don't do it that way. I just go into hiding, and now, I'm, uh, you know, 40 years later, I'm just uh, a people's pleaser, a shmata, and a worthless uh, doormat. But, but really what's happening is there's something to ruin because there's something very sacred that can get ruined. And because there's something very sacred that can get ruined, that's the way of saying, I'm not, I'm not going to let it get ruined permanently because at its core it can't get ruined. But in my perception of it, it could get ruined. Does this make any sense? Uh, you have to recognize that, yeah. That's the shimon in yourself. That's the shimon in yourself. You need, you, need, you need to respect that. It's not just, you're a, dam- you're, you're a damaged guy, you know, you happen to grow up in a dysfunctional place, somebody did X, Y, Z, so you're just damaged, and, and that's it, you know, good luck. You know, try to, uh, try, to, uh, try to use whatever healing you can. It's much deeper than that. You know why you're damaged? Because there was something very powerful <laughs> that was played with that is divine. It resonates what I'm saying. Huh? And the deeper you are, the, the, the more trauma. <laughs> exactly. The more I, the more beauty in that I, the more was at stake. The, the more it took in the message of, of, of negativity, the more it was crushed. From the Yerida, in Chassidus it always says, from the Yerida, the Altarebbe has an expression, Kol HaGavoya, Gavoya B'yoyser, Yerid Lamata, Mata B'yoyser. Whatever is higher falls much lower. He says when a wall falls, right, the top of the wall is much further than the bottom of the wall. The lowest stones on the wall are right there. 
the top stones can fall who knows how far. And if it's hurled, if it's thrown, so the higher it is, the much further it falls. And the more it breaks. So you could look at the brokenness and say, wow, you're messed up. Or you could say, one second, what was broken? What was broken? Something that was so deep, it was so heavily broken. So from this very notion, you can reclaim the power of it. And maybe this is one of the most, one of the very important messages in approaching the healing for it. Because if that really exists, then nobody can approach it. The abuser also can't approach it. So what he did was, he blocked your message. He, 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 he tainted my perception of I. But that I is a secret even to me. So, so this is where you have to practice Shimon. When I was four years old, or two years old, or one years old, or six years old, whatever the age is, my definition of self wasn't my definition of self. It was my definition of self. The real self remains untouchable, not only by that guy, by me too. So when I decided that I'm worthless, it was my decision that I'm worthless. That's it. It was a decision. It affected me. <laughs> I'm not minimizing this decision. It affects a whole life. But I have to be able to say it has nothing to do with the reality of who I am. Nothing. That's unapproachable. That always de- deserved yira. Yira even for me. Respect it. It's there. I find this to be an incredibly healing uh, and, 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 and powerful idea. I need to hear the feedback from the therapist here. Vazakstu. Huh? Ramashazah Vazakstu. But it, it's MS, yeah? This is what you were saying Friday, no? Is this what you were saying Friday or. Huh? You're right, pre verbal. So you're suggesting psychedelics. You're a therapist. What are the other things? Hypnosis. Legal psychedelics, EFT, yeah, yeah, breathing. I got it. Your point is that the rational discussion of this is not going to, it's not going to heal the nervous system. I understand. It's not going to heal the body and the nervous system that doesn't even have a conscious memory of it. And it's a pre-verbal experience that will not be extricated through a rational lecture by Rabbi Y.Y. Jacobson. Or a therapist. Number one, it awakens a possibility. Number two, number two, even when we employ various methods of healing, the key is integration. And integration must happen through words. Huh? You heard what I just said? Even if I go through the most incredible experience of healing that allows me to go to the preverbal place and almost see the hole, the wound, right? I'm coming back to my day-to-day life and I have to bring the iris into Caleb. I have to bring it into integration. I can't always be in a superconscious state unless I want to be like another Vanaviu and... Uh, fly away, or like uh, Ben Azai or Ben Zayma, who went into the garden and they never came back, or Elisha Ben Avuya. But Rabbi Akiva says, you have to come back. So when I'm coming back, we need words to link the ultimate truth to our reality, which does focus on structured pictures and words. You understand what I'm saying? That's what these Maimarim are. These Maimarim are the link between the superconscious, but always back into the conscious. That's what I feel. <laughs> no, his point is well taken. Concepts, 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 concepts don't heal people. There are people who have been in therapy for 25 years. They paid hundreds of thousands of dollars. And they weren't lying. They didn't waste their time. They spoke and spoke and spoke and every Tuesday they came in at 4 o'clock and the therapist looked them in the eyes and said, what's going on? And they spoke for the next hour, right? And they challenged themselves. But 25 years later, they gained a lot of awareness. They're good people. They, they, they're aware of a lot going on. But sometimes the key wounds, they don't have any awareness of. 
they don't have any awareness of it. And even if they do have some level of awareness, sometimes the biggest part of the story they're unaware of. And even if they do have some level of awareness, they almost have no way of, of, of grasping it, of, of going there. And the reason is because words, right? In, in halacha, I always say this, in halacha there's an unbelievable idea. Kiboiloi, kach poltai. In kashrus, the way the flavor gets absorbed, that's how it gets emitted, right? If I used a cold cup for non-kosher wine, it's not absorbed so deeply because the wine was cold. So I rinse out the cup with cold water. But if it's a pot and I cooked a, a tray for meat in the pot and it was in hot water on the fire, the flavor gets absorbed. I can't just rinse it out because the flavor is not coming out from cold water. So now you have to do what we call kashering, hagola. You have to fill it up with hot water. Why is that in halacha that way? Everything in halacha we learned previously in the Maimah comes from, uh, comes from the Chachma Vein Soif. Because the whole world works that way. Whatever you take in, it's going to go out the same way it went in. If I took in abuse through words, I already had an established identity, and then somebody said something or did something, and I absorb the negativity through words and ideas. So words and ideas could, could take it out. Good words, good ideas. But if it came in in a way that was preverbal, and never mind if I wasn't five years old. So there may not even be a memory, and there's no words, Bechlal, and it's before my eye was formed. So my very eye, you understand what happened? My very eye is defined by the trauma. So now you'll explain, <laughs> you'll explain beautiful concepts, and an adult, it's not touching that Nakuda. The Kibbele Kach Poltai is a very important thing. Am I explaining what you're saying correctly? Not really. <laughs> Finish, and I shouldn't teach? Okay. <laughs> and even if you tell them you're a loser and you're driving me crazy, there's no trauma in artificial intelligence because they don't have a soul. Very good. That's the price of having a soul. Yeah. We extol AI because they have no trauma. They never become insecure. They never get insulted. <laughs> when they don't have answers, they don't get upset with themselves. <laughs> you can't abuse AI. The reason you can't abuse AI because there's no I. <laughs> there's AI. It's AI. It's not the I. Hey, or the I, but I, Hayadia. It's AI. It's an I that's a product of our creations. Yesh, yesh. The human I, the human soul is the I. What do we mean it's the I? It's a derivative of the consciousness of Ein Saif. That's why it could be so damaged. There, there, there's a heftza, there's a gavra that you can traumatize. There's something that as a child I had to protect. And I went to crazy extremes and lengths to protect it, which is what children do. People marvel at the brilliance of a brain to survive. Right? Yeah. I know somebody... Some of the closest people in his life did terrible, terrible things to him as a very young child. He had no memory of it. And throughout his life, yeah, he discovered much later that his brain went to unbelievable lengths to maintain that his father was a tzaddik, his brother was a tzaddik, even though what they did was unforgivable. And all of his dysfunction, he completely blamed himself for because for the brain... It's so important for him to be able to say, I had a father, I had a mother, I had brothers, I had sisters, I had a good family. The attachment is so important that the brain was ready to put him into, make him the villain, him the Meshuggah, him the Russia, and take away the memory from the figures that would be a source of attachment. It's unbelievable what the brain does. The brain will turn you into a piece of nothing, will make you not trust anything about you, just to be able <laughs> to create some system that it feels will help you, will help you survive. It will take you and put you into an exile and not let you get out of your closet for 60 years. And everything you do think and say is based on what you think people want to hear, because that's the only thing that counts. Because in the brain, that's survival. 
So most people say that's how much sugar the brain is, evolution. It'll do anything to survive. What Alter Rebbe is teaching us is no. No. The brain is protecting the most genuine thing in you in the best way it knows how to. It doesn't have a better way, unfortunately, right? But it, it almost makes sure that the core of the eye will be untouchable. Not only by other people, even by you. And, and I think this is an akud we often don't realize. People say, why did I have to live with a lie for 45 years about who I am or 50 years who I am? That lie is painful, but it also saved you because it kept the real I immune, not only from the abuser, but even from your own abuse. Imagine if you would have the right to manipulate your I with your ideas. Then you would talk to be a traumatized victim. But because the ain't safe in you is something that's untouchable even by you. So all my perceptions of me that define my life really don't touch the core. And when God helps me and that day I open up and I come out of prison, right? And the mimer goes into the banner and I open up. It's as though nothing ever happened. You're the freest person in the world. The, what, something, what did happen is, all the darkness now becomes part of your light. That can only happen because it was untouchable, even by you. And I have to respect that. And the depth of the trauma is only because the brain knows exactly what it's dealing with. It says, this, this we have to protect. Artificial intelligence doesn't have that eye. It doesn't have that trauma. People think that trauma shows how, how vulnerable we are, how weak we are, how frail we are. And it's true. You take a three-year-old innocent kid, right? And, and yelling or screaming or other stuff, and then it ruins a whole life. He can't be in a relationship, can't trust himself, and all the other factors. So, so what is it? It's like it's it's muscle. You know, you ended up in a dysfunctional house or in a dysfunctional, in a dysfunctional connection with somebody, and and I'm sorry. And all we can do is be empathetic and be nice and be kind. But what Chassidus teaches is the very reason that it could have happened is because of how powerful, how powerful you are. Yeah, the Olam is is is, is with me here. Some people commit suicide, yeah. Some people become drug addicts. Some people uh, can't survive. They have nervous breakdowns. Yeah. Today there are those who are argue. Bessel van der Kolk told me when I had an interview with him that it seems to him from his research that it's possible that we're going to figure out that many mental illnesses are not chemical imbalances. They become chemical imbalances. They originate in trauma. Now, what does that mean? That means that somebody having psychosis or somebody having uh, bipolar mania, right? Today he's Mashiach, tomorrow he's, he's, uh, he's the Sultan, right? What is it? It's that the trauma was so deep that I had to create a cover-up of psychosis. That means it's not even chemical. It began with trauma. Now, that's very promising also because that means that... When we're Megala, the Elikus inside of us, we can heal that. So it's very promising. That's why it's all part of Teres Hagula. It's not just your, re- your, 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 your personality disorder, you're just sick, let's give you medication. Sometimes you need medication, and medication could save lives. The chemical part is very important, but I'm just saying there's a whole deeper soulful explanation here that most people don't even know about. Now, at some point, I, I may not be able to deal with it. If a person is, wants to jump, jump off a roof, <laughs> I have to deal with it. So we have to you know, be very respectful to where a person is. But this is what he told me. That, that's pretty revolutionary. There's a tape I once heard, the Pnei Menachem of Ger, the Ger Rebbe, the Pinchas Menachem Alter. That's Reb Shaul Alter's father, the Pnei Menachem. This was 1942 or 43. Ear, ears. I think Dalad Ear, he came to a visit to the Lubavitcher Rebbe. And they spoke about the Rambam's, Hilchas Deis, all his, his healing methods, the Rambam. 
it was, it was a fascinating discussion. The Rambam gives a few chapters of how you should live, how you should eat, what you should eat, sleep, go to the bathroom. And he says, whoever does this, I guarantee you that unless you were born with an illness or you had an accident, you will not experience illness until you're ready to die. Ani Orev, I guarantee you. And the question is, the Rambam wrote a sefer of, a sefer of halacha. It's not like Gemara where you have stories. How can the Rambam write this in halacha when many of these remedies he knew wouldn't apply in other generations? Some of them already applied in previous generations. Halacha is something that's, that's, that's constant, and these were things that are, are very relevant. Anyway, they had this whole conversation, very interesting conversation about all the remedies of the Rambam. So the Rebbe told Repinchas Menachem a line there. He said that all choyli haguf is rooted in choyli hanefesh. Everything in this physical world begins in the spiritual world. There's nothing that doesn't begin in the spiritual world. The question is how we relate to it. But there's always something, there's a disruption in the spiritual energy that is then manifested in the body. It doesn't mean the body is not sick. We're not saying that. It means that illness could be studied on many different levels, right? Take uh, Dr. Sarna, uh, whatever your opinion about uh, Dr. Sarna and back pain, right? What is that? What is that? What happened? You know the story with Dr. Sarna, huh? It's a crazy story. Dr. Sarno was a surgeon, I believe, in NYU. Where was he, in NYU? You went to him. No, where was he, in NYU? Columbia, one of the big hospitals in Manhattan. He performed back surgeries on thousands and thousands and thousands of people, I think over 30 or 40 years. A regular doctor, surgeon, conventional Western doctor, no shtick, <laughs> no mind games. <laughs> medicine, 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 yeah. He learned, he was a Jewish guy, he passed away a few years ago, at the age of 82, 83. It's Dr. Sarna. What did he learn? Almost half of his patients came back sometime later with the same symptoms that he himself fixed. The same symptoms, the same pain. He fixed it. What did he realize? It wasn't about that. The body was trying to protect something that the person wasn't ready to deal with. And he developed a whole new theory about back pain. Now, people make, a lot of people like to make fun of it. Somebody, uh, you know, people make fun of it, but whatever. Whether it, I'm not get, now getting into the details. Most people who make fun of it didn't study it well. But the point is, what's, what's, what's the point? You could look at something on many different levels, and it's true. There's something in my back... That, that is really malfunctioning. And it's true. The body and the soul are so close. They're so one that the soul affects the body. The body affects the soul. When, when people say it's ridiculous, it's just a physical condition, it's not because, it's not because they're really disproving this truth. It's because they don't understand how much the mind and the body are one. Alpichsidis, Ruchnis and Gashmis are really the same thing. It's just the glasses you have. It's the same thing. The body is not a some some shmat. The body is not a, is not a dead machine. The body is a lakus. The body knows everything. So he told the Pinchas Menachem, every illness in the body, you can also see it on a higher level. And then it, it, it evolves. It evolves. Now that, that's an unbelievable idea. Because that means the ultimate medicine is if we could really heal spiritually... Everything heals. And it's not to take away the value of medicine and antibiotic and, and surgery and medication when you need it. Of course, we know that it's a lifesaver. But it's don't limit yourself to it. Whenever I hear people, you know, they just make fun of anything in the mind with the cynicism. It's not coming from intelligence. It comes from arrogance. A real doctor is open. If I ever hear a doctor say, everything there is to know about medicine, I know. You don't go to such a doctor. Just like if I hear a rabbi say, everything there is to know about God, truth, and Judaism, I know. Don't go to such a rabbi. And if a therapist tells you, everything there is to know about the brain and emotions, I know. Don't go to such a therapist. Mr. Engel and Mr. Lamb don't talk that way. They usually say, everything there is to know about the brain and the soul, I don't know. (laughs) I'll try. (laughs) That's a much better attitude, right? Whenever you hear this, 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 this vanity, this arrogance, it's something off about it. You could say, we don't know, I have to explore. 
when people make fun, why are you making fun? Learn about it. Maybe you'll come to another conclusion. So he told the Pinchas Menachem, the Rebbe said like this, that when the Rambam wrote his remedies, he's not just talking about physical remedies. The whole system of health is also a spiritual system of health. And that system never changed. The question is, how aligned we are today, and if every spiritual remedy can be translated into a physical remedy as well. You know, it says in Kiddush HaChodesh that the Bezdin, even if they define Rish in the wrong day, it's still Rish So he said, it seems like a joke. Rish is a is a scientific fact. When the sun and the moon are aligned, and therefore we don't see the moon. If it's two days earlier, two days later, it's not Rish Don't tell me it's Rish Tell me Rish is fictional and you don't care about the real Rish So most people would say that. Halacha doesn't care. We have systems. I don't need it to be real. If it's real, good. If not, it's good. But there's something off about that. So he said, huh? So he said, Kiddush HaChaydish doesn't begin in the physical sun and moon. Kiddush HaChaydish begins in the spiritual sun and the spiritual moon. Sometimes we're zaycha that the spiritual alignment is expressed in astronomy. Sometimes the universe is not aligned and the spiritual moilad is not the physical moilad. Sometimes there's a seamless flow between your spiritual state of consciousness and your physical state of consciousness. And sometimes there's dissonance. We call it illness. The birth of a new moon means there's a lot... Oh, oh Okay. <laughs> There was a Yid I knew, he was a big Vir, his name was Gerari. So people would go to him for loans a lot. So he would, t- he would tell him what you need, he would go, ah! He would scream, ah! So people would repeat. So he said, If I didn't hear it the first time, I didn't hear it the second time. Okay, so this is Shimon. This is all an explanation of Shimon. <laughs> then there's Levi. And Be'ezer Hashem, tomorrow morning, 7.45, we'll continue to Yehuda, and I should say, Bli Neder. Everybody have a beautiful day. Thank you for uh, coming to the rescue. <laughs> this class is brought to you by the yeshiva.net. Please help us continue the classes. Make even a small contribution at www.theyeshiva.net slash donate.